Hi, I'm Rahat. Hi, I'm Hassan. And you're listening to Tech for Humans. Welcome to a new episode of Tech for Humans. Uh, today we have Tatiana Mack on our show. Uh, Tatiana, you want to introduce yourself a little bit for everyone? Hi there, I'm Tatiana Mack, and I'm a designer and developer uh, currently living in Portland, Oregon, in the United States. Awesome. So uh, we brought you on because you do a lot of stuff. Um, there's a lot of really cool things you do with, um, I, I know, just uh, devs of color, uh, self-defined app, and um, style.css. Uh, I was looking through like the style.css shop. It was really cool, uh, I think, I'm trying to figure out what I want to get. Um, <laughs> Thanks. So yeah, we we wanted to like kind of uh, divide our time a little bit on those three things. Um, is there any specific one you might want to start with? Sure. Um, and I forgot to mention that I use both she and they pronouns uh, as part part of my introduction. Um, so I think we could probably get started with the dictionary because it's probably the project that I'm focused the most on right now, and it's called self defined and. My hope with a dictionary is to create a place where terms that are evolving to speak about our identities, whether that be in regards to our gender, our ethnicity, our race, our religion, uh, there's a place where we can start to articulate some of the nuance. Uh, the dictionaries that we all use, I think when we search a word, don't adapt very quickly. I know that the word, the singular they, which has been around since like the 15th century in English, was something that they just recently added like within the last year. And so that's a perfect example of how people have been identifying in that way for a really long time. But there's really no place for them to not only see themselves, but then for other people to learn about uh, how those words have impact. And I really think that this project is meaningful for me because I do think that words are really important. They're what define policy, they're what define laws, they're what provide people with a sense of belonging. And so my hope is to create a place where everyone can contribute the ways in which they identify and uh, to help educate the public. Awesome, yeah. Um, yeah, one thing you mentioned there was like how the I guess our current dic dictionary doesn't have like the singular they until very recently. Um, mm -hmm. I actually didn't know that. I thought it was just like it was a thing that people just kind of didn't realize. But uh, yeah, that's that's interesting to know. Yeah, and I think that the other aspect of the dictionaries that we are so used to that are lacking is I know some of them have APIs and can plug into other apps, but I'm hoping to build a really robust API so that these features can start to use automated responses to help educate people. Because part of the challenge is that there's a huge burden on people to both self-educate and to educate each other. And that's an enormous amount of emotional labor. And if you never know, you never know. So a uh, perfect example being if the API could plug into any chat uh, app software, it could preemptively say, hey, Tatiana, uh, you probably shouldn't use the word crazy because crazy has these ableist connotations. And then it could give me a link out to go read more. And in that moment, it stops me from harming people by using that word, for example. So that's the part of the technology side that I'm really excited about for this dictionary is it's um, making it more powerful in helpful ways. Absolutely. Yeah. Like even, yeah, you mentioning like using the word crazy like that, like, I know I I definitely use it just like you know as um you know when something is someone from yeah. New York <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um yeah I didn't really think about that side of it that you know um it could do you know some harm uh, to other people so that's I think having an app like that is really good for just like kind of catching those it's like things that we say all the time but we don't think about the impact it has on other people. Yeah, and being able to have something that forces us to slow down, um, I think is really important. It and doesn't require someone else to do all that emotional labor. And I think that despite the fact that I think we all want to grow, I think a lot of people, you know, sometimes myself included, we really dislike making mistakes in public. And so this is a way in order to sort of 
um, make those interactions private. It's basically like a Slack bot or, you know, whatever chat bot telling you, hey, maybe don't use that. And you've saved yourself a bit of the embarrassment and then also learned. Cool. So right now it exists as like a website. Um, it, are you going to like open up like the API for maybe for it to be used in something like Slack bot or something like that? Yeah, that's definitely my hope. So the model right now is both um, I'm trying to create the web app function and then also somewhat agnostically from the web app to create the API so that eventually the web app would itself be using the API to keep the concerns separate. And my hope is that then I can take the API and maintain its open source core so that any not-for-profit or any open source use for personal use can stay free but then to charge enterprise level integrations. Um, I haven't decided how to articulate that pricing model yet, but I do want to, in a way, as an open source maintainer, reiterate that open source has been somewhat exploited by massive billion trillion dollar corporations, <laughs> um, basically taking free labor off of people who are doing it for you know, their own their own the own good of the community um so i do think that enterprises should be forced to pay yeah definitely agree on that <laughs> so um th this project itself it's open source so people can go on contribute to it um are you like the sole maintainer or does anyone kind of work with you yeah, right now, I would say that my main cohort um, fellow maintainer is uh, named Oscar, and he's been really great in helping me to um, migrate all of this. Our, our main concern right now is to make the web app as contributable as possible. So doing that is removing as many layers and barriers to entry. So we've migrated to the static site generator 11T so that folks can do a pull request with the markdown file basically. Um, and just trying to like take those layers one by one. So of course that still requires someone to understand how to use Git. It still uh, requires someone to um, understand how to write in markdown. And so uh, we're looking at uh, the concept of maybe opening open authoring and trying to make it just as like user-friendly and easy to contribute as possible because we don't want to limit the source of contributors to just people that are development savvy. We want to open it up to people um, of all sorts of technical skill levels. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, that I guess even Markdown, I would consider easier than using like JavaScript or something else to edit. And that's great that you want to move away even from Markdown and make it just open authorable. Um, I'm actually on the website right now, self-define.app. I had a quick question about your design philosophy. What made you want to use, like, um, for example, let's say I'm looking at gender mm -hmm. and the way you have the subcategories in area with like cis fluid, what made you choose that design philosophy to show those words? Yeah, I think that um, the hope is to make words as discoverable as possible. So, um, this might be a good example of inheritance of design. So when I first did this, it was an afternoon project. I wanted to uh, figure out how to connect a site to Netlify and then um, GitHub pages. That was basically like my exercise. And I knew that I wanted to do something that could be helpful because I spend a lot of time on Twitter and a lot of people don't even know what words they don't know. So this started as literally a list of words. And then I asked folks, what are words that you wish more people knew? And then they started to contribute. And then I was able to update my very simple uh, one page uh, list of words from there. The breakdown is that as we start to look at data, which is this is the part that I really geek out about, is that when I'm designing the, the, the interface as it's being generated to the user, I'm also thinking about what are the ramifications on the API side and how will these terms be served up eventually? So I want to make sure that if someone's looking up gender as a concept, which is a very broad, big concept, that eventually that'll serve up all of the subterms as links or however they're, they're um, ported. Um, but that if someone looks up cisgender, that should also be linked as a term under the letter C. Um, so that you can have that duality. Um, 
And also because a lot of those terms, when you do break them up into two parts, like cisgender, um, the word cis in and of itself has a meaning, the word gender has a meaning, and then cisgender has its own meaning. So I'm just trying to think about the the way that the data will be architected. Um, one of the, the other features that I'm really hoping to uh, develop is that, uh, I don't know if you're all familiar with, I think it's called pronoun.is. Mm, no. No. Not okay, sure. so pronoun.is is a helpful site that uh, teaches people essentially about gender pronouns. And so you might see in people's bios, pronoun dot is he or pronoun dot is uh, they slash he. And uh, the model of that is it, sh it takes the content from he and the content from they, and you can easily have a concatenated URL that's like pronoun dot is forward slash they plus he. And then that'll generate a page that explains to you how to use those pronouns. Similarly, um, I would like to be able to use the dictionary to have something like self-defined.me, for example, forward slash um, pan for pansexual plus um, queer. And so then I could put that link in my bio and that would show you these are the terms that I would like to be identified with. Because part of the thing that I think people get uh, a little tripped up on with gender identity and well just identity in general is that people don't know what terms other people want to be identified with and so they do these awkward tiptoey things this is particularly prevalent when speaking about disability that a lot of able-bodied people are so uncomfortable with the word disabled that they say really like messed up terms like differently abled or like um handy capable or all of these really offensive terms that many disabled folks have explicitly said they do not want to be called and that they're very comfortable with the label disabled um, because they don't see disabled as a bad thing. And there are people that choose to be identified as people with disabilities. And so even that dichotomy of, well, do you want to be called disabled or people with disabilities? Nothing replaces a conversation, but that's also a lot of labor. So it would be lovely in my mind to be able to choose to self-identify and have a URL that basically concatenates all the terms that you identify with, put that in your bio, and then someone can click on that and see all the terms that you would like to be identified with. Wow, that's, yeah, um, that's amazing. Um, I think, yeah, even, like, I, I'm not uh, the best with, um, I guess, figuring out, um, sometimes the things I should or shouldn't say, like I'm on self-defined app right now. I'm just looking through and I really like the, um, I guess, kind of like the warning labels you put on some of those, um, some of the words. And even now I'm just kind of thinking about them. Like I didn't even think about, I've never thought about before, like how those words can be taken. Um, so something like this is amazing just to have um, because, and, I, and I've seen this a lot uh, with people like, um, we say certain things, um, someone may take offense and then we say, oh, I didn't mean to do that or something like that. But, um, I think it's definitely important for us to like understand why they're not, we shouldn't say that, um, and try to like own up to that fact that, you know, we're not perfect. We may not know everything, but it's important to understand what other people's feelings are, or how other people perceive what we say. So something like this definitely makes it easier a little bit just to understand those things. Yeah. And a, a lot of what I talk about in my talks is that intent does not erase impact. So the intent of your words and the intent of your ignorance might be good, but that doesn't remove the bad impact that they have on me. And so the only way we can move forward is more education and more awareness. And I think that a helpful place to tap into is that we all have things about us that we wish more people understood and so I'm really hopeful that this provides a place for people to uh, share those identifying characteristics. Yeah. Um, just reading through some of this, I know at first, um, when I was first trying to understand a lot of the things, it made me a little uncomfortable. But I think that's good just to feel that uncomfort that there's something to improve on there that, you know, I didn't think about before. So, yeah, stuff like this is amazing. Thank you for your work on that. Yeah, it's great. And I would just, if I can, put a plug that if anyone's interested in contributing 
there's many ways to contribute. Uh, there's, of course, writing definitions. We have folks that have started to uh, translate, which is going to teach me a lot about internationalization, which I'm really excited about, and how to handle internationalization in a static site generator and API. And then um, also documentation. I definitely am a huge documentation advocate, and our docs um, are there, but they definitely could use improvement and love. and um, also, um, of course, the code base itself. I've got a lot of folks that are really um, enthusiastic about working on the API, but there's always like front end uh, needs, accessibility, performance, design. Um, part of what I'm trying to do as I call myself a developer, <laughs> and that's because I'm a designer who really fell in love with development. And so I really want to create space for people that sit in that hybrid um, and to integrate them more into build processes like this and to design, you know, components and push them to GitHub and stuff. No, I'm just like going through it. And like you mentioned, I, I guess um, th this brings back to, you know, a lot of the stuff when I was reading, there's just had a flashback to high school. I'm not sure if you had the same flashback, um, a little background. Brian and I met literally first day of freshman year of high school. So we've known each other for like about 15 years. Cute. Uh, <laughs> so it's just like uh, I'm I'm just even thinking about like how I've heard these words or I've, I've used the words and you know obviously there has been conversations after and I've learned and you know I've taught people too there's just certain words like you know for us being people of color um and just stuff we've dealt with so I'm just going to and this is great I'm like if this only existed while we were in high school or if something like this or a project like this existed earlier, how much like that would have helped. Um, just, this is really wonderful. Thanks, yeah. And I think too, um, speaking about from high school, I think that a lot of what I've learned and maybe people don't realize this is not something I have always known. I'm in my mid thirties now and I, so much of this stuff, I just started gaining a curiosity about myself and my own identity in my thirties because I'm, uh, I'm the I'm first gen uh, Vietnamese American, and both my parents are Vietnamese, and they uh, immigrated here. And so, being a first gen kid, uh, a lot of people call it third culture kids, and I really identify with that, which is probably a term that I should add. But uh, even that idea of understanding, oh yeah, I don't really fit in in America because I'm not white, and then I don't fit in in Vietnam because they think my Vietnamese is funny. Um, and all the food I eat while somewhat Vietnamese in origin has been drastically influenced by what was available in the neighborhoods in which I grew up. And so like everything I experience is neither here nor there. And so all of this stuff, I guess, all that to say that I didn't learn a lot about my own identity until a few years ago. And so I'm hopeful that this, you know, gives people, uh, education as soon as they can it's 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 never too late to learn i guess is what i'm saying yeah right and you know what you mentioned about i guess you said third culture you know i never heard of that term but i definitely resonate with that i came here when i was five so i felt like i grew up here but every time i go back home um my cousins my aunt, uncle they always treat me separately and differently because they're like oh we know you're not us and i get treated like that here so it's, it's like trying to create our own space um I think that's a lot of things that people our age and our generation struggle with. And it's great that we're getting into that space and we're starting to have that voice and letting it be known like, hey, we're here and we're there for each other. It's great. Yeah, I think that that's one aspect of this is um, unexpected connections. That's something I've always really clung on to is that being first gen and being third culture, those I connect so much with people from all over the world where we, even if we have completely different contexts for race, socioeconomic class, what states we were moved into, how old our parents are, how old we are, we have this really weird connection of like parents thinking America's really awesome. <laughs> I don't know if your parents are like that. My parents are like, I'm right here. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> what are you watching? And so there, there's those identifying characteristics that transcend cultural 
borders um, in in a way that I think is really lovely and and helps to create community and and consciousness within a group. Awesome, yeah. yeah. So um, I do want to give some time to a couple of your your other projects too. Um, the the other one I was also interested in was um, I guess maybe this was a good segue into that the Devs of Color. Um, what was kind of the inspiration behind that? Um, where uh, I saw that you're kind of like compiling sort of like almost like a database of like devs who identify as devs of color. Yeah. So the impetus for this project is that, again, <laughs> uh, looking on Twitter when people are like, we need um, a React developer who um, can get started on this project, you know, for three months or whatever. And when you look at the replies, it's almost always all white dudes because um, it's like white dudes recommending other white dudes who tag in other white dudes. And it's just this vicious cycle. And because white men and specifically like American and European men, especially, are centered within that uh cycle that's who gets the job that's whose work gets announced that's who gets promotions that's who gets their in on these companies and people don't see that cyclical nature when they're the default setting and in tech the default setting is to be like a, a white cis hetero dude and so my hope with this is that whenever someone chimes in and is like hey maybe you should consider some white women or um, people of color candidates um, or non-binary folks, people are always like, where? It's a pipeline problem. They're not, you know, around. And that's simply not true. There are so many, like, there are so many folks um, looking for opportunities. And yet there aren't necessarily great ways to find them, I would say, that part of the problem with this whole pipeline myth is that people don't know where to look. And there are some great projects that do that, like, um, Paris Athena's um, uh, Black Tech Twitter, like there's definitely places that are creating space. Um, my hope is to bring to light people's skills first and foremost. And it's kind of an interesting model because um, when you look at a lot of the models that are similar, like there's um, Blacks Who Design, um, there's uh, uh, people of craft, there's queer design club, there's all of these places where people are being, uh, of marginalized communities are being celebrated, which is awesome. They all share one thing in common, I noticed, which is that most of the time they're either displaying a photo of the person or one photo of their work. And with development, I just don't think it quite works the same way. I think that if you're just showing one picture of what you work on that's having huge front end bias like something that like looks cool is going to be way better or if you're like a front end animator or whatever how do you visualize if you're like a really like deep back end developer you can't so my hope is to create a database that helps people to sort by the facts um so things like years of experience languages that they speak both human and um, machine languages, uh, uh, what uh, specialties they have. So accessibility, performance, um, animation, whatever it is. Um, and then what the needs and want or needs and what they have to offer. So uh, are you looking for long-term contracts? Are you looking for mentorship? Are you looking for um, full-time work? And so making all of the searches a lot more um, customizable based on the types of things people really need when they're both looking for talent and looking for work. Yeah. Um, one of the things you said, um, actually, when you um, started talking about that, of like how, yeah, on Twitter you go when there's, you know, someone posting a job or whatever, first person who goes uh, responds is a white dude or tags another white dude and I remember like kind of I guess when I started so I started my career in customer support and going through different um, I guess tech startups in customer support I at first I didn't see it because I was kind of like looking at my own little bubble 
uh, pretty diverse. It was, mm-hmm. you know, uh, different people of color, other people who look like me. And um, I guess as I started progressing in my career and then when I started going into um, shifting over to becoming a developer myself, um, that's when it like really hit me. Um, and I started to even look back on it from then. It was like I was in these call centers, but everyone in like these higher up positions, executive positions, all look the same. And I didn't see it before. Yeah. Um, until I guess we were, we were really pro- trying to progress in my career and look at different things that I wanted to do. And yeah, it's a lot of the times when you're trying to get these positions, like people will just, you know, recommend pe- other people who look like them. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, something like this definitely helps with that. Yeah, like I think that if things are reversed, like if folks who are used to being the default came into a workplace where they were the only white person over and over and over again, I think that they would start to understand at least, they wouldn't be able to understand the full experience by any means, but they'd be able to understand like, wow, I've had so many jobs where I was the only person who looked like me. So many. And I think all three of us have quite a bit of relative privilege within that being Asian and I'm assuming South Asian, like we have, or I should say Southeast and South Asian, um, (laughs) we're all Asian. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I think that that concept of like even we are fairly well represented um within tech i mean i can start to splice hairs about how east asians are the most like <laughs> are what people assume i am and i'm not and southeast asians aren't represented but that's a whole other <laughs> conversation i was gonna say like uh you're right like asian people i think it's very easy for all of asians as a whole to break into tech mm-hmm. um just because of the connotation we have like oh you know you're asian you must know you must be really good at this um i know i've dealt with that a lot and it makes it easier for us to break into tech um and one thing i've noticed though um i i guess from bubble i'm in or just what i've seen however like other communities are actually better about grouping together and coming and creating more of a welcoming background or, or community um, let's say black uh, people in tech or even um, Latinos in techs, I feel like they come together and create a more of a welcoming community or community um, for people like them to break into tech. Um, we know, Rahan and I know quite a few people that were actually, uh, were in an Afro tech conference earlier in 2019. And I'm like, that's so cool. Like, you know, they have that, they're having a conference and they're bringing it, but like, I don't see any Asian or Southeast Asian uh, communities holding big conferences and, you know, creating like an open forum for uh, people like us. Yeah. And I think that that's part of the, I think there's a few things to unpack there, which is one is that I think because that idea of Asian diaspora is so large and there's so many cultures being represented we are experiencing like to be able to connect on that realm we haven't figured out i think as a community how to do that right like even that distinction when we talk about south asian versus southeast versus east asian versus central asian that is so many cultures being represented and i i love to compare it to europe because europe is significantly smaller in terms of population and area yet Europe has like so just as almost as many countries as we do in Asia and so and same with Africa and so when you look at that you're like wait so we can distinguish like as a globe the difference between France and Germany and Czech Republic and Greece yet ask any person to name more than like five Asian countries and many of them are going to be stumped especially in the U.S. And so I think that we have experienced this like cultural flattening. Um, I love to make shit posts, one of them, especially about how like we talk about Asian food. Uh, why not European food? Like, why don't your friends ever be like, you know, what? I love European food. <laughs> right. Like you would say, I like French food or I like Italian food. Um, you know, you, you would give it it's it's. Uh, regional origin but people all the time are like I love Asian food and then they give me some dish that's like from P.F. Chang's and I'm like that's not really like an Asian dish and what country does that come from I have no idea 
So um, yeah, I think we have cultural flattening issues. I also think that the second and more difficult um, thing to reconcile is that many Asians are very content with bolstering and supporting white supremacy because they have the relative privilege to hide behind our light skin. Uh, we have the privilege to, for those of us who have light skin, um, and then we have the privilege to um, almost fall back on this horrible minority, model minority myth, uh, which I personally hate because yes, I happen to be really good at math. That's just because I as an individual love math. I happen to play piano. I begged my parents to let me play piano. Um, so I fall into a lot of the stereotypes, but then there's a lot that I don't fall into. And especially the one about being like obedient and quiet and uh, that's not me. Um, and that myth is really something that really hurts us. It's given us a lot of privileges and I think it really hurts us. One thing you had brought up of like, you know, having our privilege of like those of us who are like lighter skin. I didn't really think about this like before, but even like when I was younger, uh, I remember relatives and family members would call me like uh, the, the white uh, Rahat or whatever. It's just because I had, you know, lighter skin than um, other brown people. And um, at, fr at first, like, I didn't think too much of it. I thought they were making fun of me, but a lot of them wanted that because, you know, they feel like, you know, that makes it easier to, um, I guess, get through our current world or community or whatever. And I started, yeah, really understanding that, like, I guess, later in life, um, and just made me think about that when you brought that up here too. Yeah, even within our communities, we're always like looking at lighter skin as like, this is better thing for people or better for us. Yeah, I mean, you have to think about media, right? Like in media all across the globe, I would say that lighter skin is prioritized and having done some work in like video recording and in photo shoots, like so many people don't know how to light for light for darker skin. And, um, you know, it, it just all is, is a vicious cycle. Um, there's just, I know, speaking for my own <laughs> upbringing, that to look like certain East Asian races was preferred to looking like Southeast Asian or which is what I am, um, or looking like other, you know, Southeast Asian races and or folks. Um, and I, I just think that that's such a clear example of how the lighter skinned and the more conventionally attractive you are by Western ideals. So like a high nose bridge, a small nose, um, being tall, uh, all of these things are like infiltrated not only into our childhoods and like what our aunties say to us when we have like a family gathering oh all the God. way to like the media. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. Like no. I remember like, yeah. it's just like, where you're like, oh, okay, let me just endure some casual yeah. racism for my yeah. own aunt. I mean, this, yeah, I don't know how many times I've heard that. I'm just like, oh, I can walk away. I'm just going <laughs> to walk away right now. Yeah, and it's like, you know, you do what you can to say things to your relatives um, and to try to educate them, but it's so insidious and so prevalent um, uh, to the point where it's, just, it's almost a part of the culture is to value being fair-skinned and um yeah it all comes down to colorism and anti-blackness i was gonna say maybe we should shift to a little lighter note here since it got a little heavy um uh, but like just talking about like maybe style.cs i like i just love the website like when i rahad showed me this a couple of weeks ago i just couldn't stop laughing at all the shirts and it was like in the middle of my boot camp so i spent an hour going around to all my cohort mates i'm like guys you have to see this and I, and I just, yeah, like, they got mad at me because I disrupted them, they were coding. <laughs> but, like, that was, like, the first thing. She was like, go away. And then I made them look at it. And they're like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah. That's great. And that gives me inspiration. Like, I, I've kind of put it on hold for a bit, um, trying to focus on the dictionary. But every once in a while, I'll just, like, get this idea in my head. And I'll just be like, all right, I'm making it. Um, and it's really... Like, it's just fun. I just wanted something that took, like, I do a lot of shit posting on Twitter. And I was like, you know what? Like, I might as well use it to do some good. So uh, for every item that I sell, I donate a portion to several organizations. So the first one being the main one that I donate to is Black Girls Code. Because I think it's such a cool organization. Um, I just, every time I watch, like, anything that they put out, 
it's like they just do such incredible stuff um and I think that it reminds me of the joy of figuring out how to do stuff and like kids I don't know if you ever watch kids code but they're such better pair programmers than we are they're like are helpful they're not dicks about it they're like excited to like work together um and so I I just think it's such a cool organization so most of um the donations funnel through to there. Um, and then I also donate to the Trevor Project, which is for LGBTQIA plus folks, teens especially. Um, and then um, also, I also donate to the uh, National Indigenous Women's Resource Center um, because so many Indigenous women um, and children go missing every year. And it's something that we completely ignore. Um, and then I also donate to um the uh, raices which is an organization that works with um undocumented immigrant families that are basically being treated horribly um at the border so they provide legal aid and reunification resources uh to those families that um have had that horrible yeah. thing happen to them um, do you usually maybe like try to tailor some of the products to be somewhat in theme with um, whoever you're donating to? Yeah, definitely. So for example, like if I'm ever using anything that I believe comes from black American culture. So if it's using anything that is like descendant or directly from um, African American vernacular English or AAVE, um, I make sure those donations funnel to black girls code. Um, And then for any that are like playing off of, I mean, I identify as queer myself, but any that are playing off of like sexuality. So I have one that's um, bitextual and it's because I shit post that uh, <laughs> you can love both uh, JavaScript and CSS. Um, and for those folks, they're bitextual. And for people who don't care what program that they code in or what language they code in, they're pantextual. Um, and so it's like a double entendre and teaching people about um, what those terms mean. And um, so I, I try to donate those proceeds to the Trevor Project. So yeah, I do try to theme it um, as much as I can. Um, but then for ones that are just like not connected, then I just try to evenly distribute them through the organizations that I'm trying to support. So last year, I think I donated about $600, which isn't like the most money in the world. But um, I, for my yeah, first no, year, I was awesome pretty excited about have, that. Like, yeah. It's, it's- successful business like being able to donate proceeds from that it's really cool yeah it's just like a nice thing to give me some income stabilization and also I just feel like it I get so much joy when someone like shows me that they wore their shirt to give a talk or like uh, you know to give a presentation at work or something and I don't know it just makes people laugh and I think it reminds people that code is not that serious <laughs> yeah um, there was one shirt I think I really liked um, I think it was Hero Worship Kills Community. Um, I think that was like one of my favorite ones off of there. I remember um, like when I first started, I guess, trying to transition into being a dev, like one of the first things I did was going on Twitter and like following a bunch of people who were like, I guess, um, thought leaders in tech or whatever. And or Twitter famous, yeah. Or Twitter famous. <laughs> I mean, we can all <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, Twitter famous, and I was like, yeah, these people are doing really awesome things. I want to be like them. And I guess as I started, like, kind of following more people, thinking about it more, I'm just like, yeah, but um, some of them are not really the best, I guess, people to follow, um, <laughs> and. <gasps> Yeah, when the first time I saw that shirt, I was like, yeah, that it re- reminded me of that a little bit of like when I was you know, starting off. Um, sometimes we just kind of like look at people who seem super successful and yeah, we want to be like them, um, disregarding like anything else that um, they might be doing or might not be doing for community. So that's definitely really cool. I, I like that you're, you know, your apparel kind of like makes you think about things like that. Yeah, thanks. I think that the aspect of that that a lot of people don't realize is that heroes, you know, the people that we often think of as being like the favorites 
and really well-known in tech and really likable people that create a lot of really amazing content. Um, I think that's kind of the unifying factor that I've seen from people that become like truly known in the dev community is people that put out a lot of helpful content. That's what they do at the end of the day. And that to me is a stewardship of community. Like they're creating documentation, they're creating cool examples, they're pushing on the technology. So yeah, we should definitely be complimentary about their work. But I think at the end of the day, we forget that these people are really human and many of them have some really (laughs) questionable ethics and that like, it benefits us none to worship them. And the reason I created the shirt was because I saw at that point in my life that um, people's heroes were kind of falling, if that makes sense. So they were either had said or done something that had been not good. And people naturally, uh, when their heroes do something like that, they don't know what to do they kind of feel at a loss a bit. Um, And I think it's because they've almost aligned their North Stars to these people's career trajectories because they too want to emulate what they've done. But that's so dangerous. You're like hinging on someone who is just as equally likely to make mistakes as any of us are. Um, And so my hope in, in creating this shirt is to remind people that heroes are not the end all be all. And we shouldn't really make heroes. We shouldn't identify people in our community as heroes um and then two that like community is really where we need to focus and community maintains its ideology it maintains its work it maintains its um motivations even when individuals misstep within the community and part of community is holding one another accountable to the ethics and to the work and to the missions that we've all set out and I think that's what we need to ultimately protect yeah definitely um is there any uh shirt or thing you made on there that you like a lot or is your favorite (laughs) I think it's one of the most underrated um is my async shirt that's done in the style (laughs) of insync And it's such a throwback. Um, it's it's a fun throwback for me because um, Mandy Michael, who's one of my dear friends, uh, she and I met um, at a conference and we got started talking and how we started learning how to code and, you know, uh, like things like Neopets and MySpace and basically having our millennial nostalgia as we love to do. And we learned that we each maintained rival web rings for InSync and Backstreet Boys. So she's a huge Backstreet Boys fan, and I actually am yeah. also a Backstreet Boys fan. Too. But I maintain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's great. Well, I was um, the maintainer of a, a substantial InSync web ring, and I had this website InSync2000.net that was coded in frame source sets, and it was great and. Uh, anyway, so um, I love this because it. Uh, whenever I have to use async, I always just start thinking like in in sync songs, like uh, I can delete something, and I'm like, all right, bye, bye, bye. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's just one of my favorites, and I feel like my favorite thing is just taking like two weird mishy things and putting them together. So yes, that one's the most underrated to me. Not very many people buy that one, but it's fine. <laughs> so much of this is just me wanting stuff that I want to wear. So I just make it and I'm like, maybe someone else wants to Definitely. wear it. The one question I don't think we've asked yet is like, how do you have time for all of this? <laughs> um, so I'm very privileged in that I work independently. So I have a very... Um, I would call it both very rigid and very loose schedule. And up until um, all of the stuff started happening with COVID-19, I was speaking a lot. And so I basically structure my weeks in the same way every week. So Monday, I do all my administrative work. Um, I don't really email much on days outside of Monday. Uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, I do what I consider conceptual work. So if I need to... uh, Uh, do some UX work for a site um, or if I need to map out like the infrastructure for uh, one of the projects I do that and then Thursday Friday I do like very um, implementation based work so I'm just like like hands to keyboard coding 
or um, illustrating or designing like stuff that requires in my mind very little like active brain work it's very much like lizard brain like okay that component is here how do I trace that back that kind of brain work um and then I sort of repeat that schedule over and over every week um and it somehow gets everything done but yeah part of that is that I'm not tethered to the nine to five life so I don't like some days I might work like an 18 hour day um and then some days if my mental health isn't great I don't work because I'm not going to be effective um and that's certainly a huge privilege that I have of working independently um but I think it makes me a lot more effective with my time that's great I I felt like if I was left to my own devices (laughs) I'd just never leave the bed (laughs) watch Netflix and anime never leave the bed I mean there are days like that but I think that at some point like things have a forcing function right like when you're laying in bed and you're watching anime and then you're like getting your reminders for your bills and you're like oh yeah if I don't work I don't get any money Um, which is a hard shift I think for a lot of folks who are used to being salaried because like being salaried forces you to go to work and then you always have a paycheck while you're salaried uh for me it's like if i don't work then i'm not gonna get paid uh we usually like to wrap up our um episodes with like a catch-up session what are you doing outside of you know the work that you do here what do you like to do for fun um how are you holding up in this uh social mm-hmm. isolation world that we're in right now yeah um so I just adopted a dog her name is Arwen she's a senior uh German Spitz and uh she's taking up a lot of my time and forcing me to go on uh, to go outside um I do a lot of reading um and I just downloaded Animal Crossing which means that's going to be occupying all of my time (laughs) when I'm not working uh and setting on my island so (laughs) if anyone wants to come visit my island I couldn't think of what to name it so I named it JC Penny um and now I learned I can't change it (laughs) so that's that's my island, JC Penny. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I like video games. I love making art. So that kind of ties in with like my style.css. I love to draw. Um, I have a lot of plants. I'm a very good millennial. <laughs> I like all the things that millennials like. Yeah, I think um, I definitely want to download Animal Crossing myself after this. I've, I was playing um, another game. Um, what was it called? Wow. can't remember what it was called. And I play this all the time too. Um, <laughs> yes, you're talking about started. How do you forget? The... I love that you. How know. do you forget started? If you, I feel like they're connected. Like I don't think that Animal Crossing is as intense as Stardew in terms of like what you have to maintain. I think it's a little bit uh, yeah. lighter. Uh, Stardew, I think, can get really intense. Um, but uh, Animal not. Crossing is—have you played it before? No. Uh, it's just so delightful. No, I mean, have you? I, I've seen a lot of people play it. I just somehow never got into it. It was more, I guess, like Pokemon and, and like a few action games. It's just, it's slow paced, which I love, and <laughs> I just love that you're basically everyone's like personal <laughs> assistant on the island. <laughs> you're like, you know, like the. Um, the tour guide director uh, will be like, go find me this. And then you're like, okay, I'll go find you this. And it's just like, I don't know. It's, it's kind of nice. And I think that to kind of in a roundabout answer your question about how I'm doing, I think that as silly as it is, I think Animal Crossing is a lovely reminder of community and how that game really like teaches us to be helpful neighbors to one another. Um, and yeah, it's just cute and <laughs> silly and, I, I think it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I think half my Facebook feed is just like people like, I just caught Animal Crossing. And I, I'm here, my daughter and I, she's home for like the next five weeks. And she's like, Dad, can we play that racing well, game? She won't let me play anything else beside Mario Kart with her. So as soon as I switch to something, she's like, no, no, I don't like this. So I'm like, I can't even get any other new games. What? I, uh, someone um, that I'm mutuals with on Twitter said that they're, um, their child was doing the same thing that they had to kick their child off of Mario Kart so that they could play Animal Crossing. (laughs) I think it's such a funny thing about our generation is that 
my parents played video games with me. I think that they entertained me and certainly my dad liked it a lot more than my mom. But I feel like our generation um, and those of us who, I don't have kids, but for those of us who have kids, um, I think it's really interesting because like so often buying that new video game is not necessarily yeah. for the kids. <laughs> I think Rahat like, can speak that terms of like all these games I'm buying right now. I'm like, yeah, it's for her. No, it's all for me. It's just like... <laughs> yeah. She's my like, mom I don't even like that game. Uh, she's just like, when you have kids, are you going to just be playing video games? What, what about them? Are you going to buy them video games? And I think I straight up told her one time, no, they have to get their own. Those are mine. <laughs> Gosh, I think though that like the weirdest thing as an aside is that video games are the same price as when yeah. I was a kid. Video game prices have not changed. Like I remember I paid $74 for an SNES game. That's bananas. That's so much money. <laughs> And I just paid $59.99 for Animal Crossing. Like, why haven't the prices changed? Why are they the same? It, I don't know what they should be. I don't know if they should be cheaper or more, but it doesn't make any sense I mean, to me. Like, the that, and there's, there's such a bigger market now, too, for games. As, yeah. Yeah. And digital downloads. Like, I guess back then, you they, like, printed you up this, like, nice little book. And, you know, you had the, like, the cartridge and... I don't know, for some reason that it's physical makes it feel more valuable for some reason. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tech for Humans. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. You can tweet us at techforhumans.io or listen to all of our episodes at techforhumans.io. That's tech, the number four humans.io. Episodes are available on all major podcast platforms.